I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast. Bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now your hosts... Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we're looking at the Utah-Texas Alamo Bowl game. We're joined by Westcott Ebers from Burnt Orange Nation. And we're breaking down some National Signing Day as Utes get a great class. I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. What's up, Ute Nation? And Scott. What's up, you fans? Signing days come and gone. It was a it was exciting an exciting two days oh, for Utah. Yeah, I mean, kind of a slow build up, right? Uh, as 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 been the trend for for Utah recruiting over the last number of years. But I'll tell you what, those uh, that uh, that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday that was kind of a wild ride as uh, as rumors were going spreading around and excitement of. A lot of these top guys, especially in state committing, which they ultimately did. I mean, what a, what a class it was! Uh, for for a small class, it's powerful, and uh, it's it. Kyle Whittingham said it could go down as as the best class they've ever put together. So, pretty impressive. It's not a big class like what you said, Scott, but it is it's very powerful. It's got a lot of star power in that. Utah jumped fifty spots in in the rankings on five seven zero. No, I mean absolutely enormous from from where we were in the eighties to to climb up into into the thirties after a number of these big guys committed. I mean, you you go down the list. Obviously, it's it kind of started um, with Ty Jordan flipping him from Texas, which was which was absolutely huge. Running three star running back out of Texas, um, and then uh, Van Fillinger he he decommits. Rumors were were speculating that uh, you know that uh, he was giving Utah a good hard look and ultimately ends up committing. Then you add Xavier Carlton, a, a local defensive end, two top defensive ends in this class, which which not to mention them both being in state, but to land two guys that are so highly recruited, so highly rated, that's absolutely enormous. Well, and the crazy thing is, is that Van and Xavier they can have significant playing time as freshmen. They're that they're that big. They're they're that ready. Um I mean, you know, they're they're incoming freshmen, so of course they you know, they kinda have to learn uh, at that next level. Uh I've watched a ton of, of Xavier, um his his senior season. I'm a I'm a big fan um of him and and what he's capable of doing. But six six two two hundred and fifty nine pounds and he still he his body can still put on more muscle. That's the crazy thing. So Van Xavier, two Utah high school products. Utah nailed it. Absolutely nailed it with in-state recruiting. Well, and it's it's something they've been building on. And, and really, it's been a point of emphasis for really since they joined the Pac-12, where so many of the top guys year after year have just really not given Utah the time of day and have gone elsewhere, sometimes inside the Pac-12 and others outside. 
But this was big for to get local guys because I think that's going to help help get more local kids down the road as they see these quote unquote hometown heroes come produce and play at a high level and and help continue to get Utah and help Utah to continue to have successful seasons and and play for the Pac-12 and ultimately win that. I mean that that is key. That's kind of that first hurdle that we've needed to have happen in state and to do it with this class it's it's a home run. It was absolutely. I mean, you go through, you look at uh, I mean guys that Sione Fotu who's just a hard-hitting linebacker. You got to go watch his film. He he can he can hit hit. He pa- he packs a punch and then obviously uh um you got Nate Ritchie, the safety kind of do it all out of uh, out of Lone Peak who who was a priority for this uh, coaching staff. Not only an in-state guy, but a guy that can come in and and probably play from day one the safety position. 6'3's got great size. He's kind of a Chase Chase Hansen type player, but with bigger with better size. And and he has a legit shot to to be a starter at the safety position next year, which ultimately we are going to be replacing both the safety positions. So that that helps when you've in the recruiting game when you've got guys that are going to be going into the NFL, it frees up openings. These guys, these guys can see immediate playing time, and that's that's how you can help land some of these guys. But absolutely, I mean, Connor O'Toole, um, the top recruit in New Mexico, which you don't really hear all too often. Connor O'Toole, I think, is a surprising one, just because what you said, a lot of people don't know about New Mexico high school football. Uh, he's a, he's a three star on 247 Sports. There's actually talk. Uh, that if if guys were down in New Mexico and could really scout him, that he could be potentially a four star. Well, yeah, and I I think ultimately, I mean, he's kind of that tight end wide receiver combo. I mean, right he's there, got Brant Keithy written it, all over. He's him. a young Keithy, and 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 we still have Keithy potentially for two more years. You get this guy in who can come in because we saw that our this offense took such a huge step forward this year. But as the season wore on, especially late in the season, once you lose Brian, lost Brian Thompson, and uh, and defenses started kind of playing us a little bit differently, we ran out of options offensively. You have Moss and you have Keithy, and we didn't have a ton of guys that were producing at the end of the season, at least consistently. Man, how huge is it to get some more offensive weapons, some guys that can come in, not only for depth purposes, but just to get more athletes on the field. You know, you look at a Money Parks, who was a wide receiver commit out of Texas, had committed and and stayed committed for over a year, which is pretty darn impressive in today's recruiting world. And, uh, I mean, he looks like he's a guy that I would not be surprised to see get early playing time next year. So I, I think... You look at this, you, you bring some, you add a depth and some help to the offense, and you absolutely reload defensively. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Not a glamorous position, but a much-needed position, especially after what we saw happen in the bowl game. 
is the offensive line. A big pickup was Alex Harrison. Yeah, another local kid. Yeah, another another local, uh, highly ranked in in Utah. And I mean, even O line. I mean, to pick up four four guys from the O line. I mean, you have Hunter Lotulale coming back from from his mission. So I'm going to count that. Alex Harrison, Jaron Kump, you know, big time in state recruits, and then you follow that up with Moai out of Hawaii. Utah really hit the needs that they needed to. Right? They went big on the O line. They went big um, at defensive line at safety. You could really tell that they had a plan in action. I know a lot of fans were were worried about this recruiting class a few weeks ago when they were ranked in the 80s. And everyone online, and and us included on on our last episode, we kind of talked about hold out judgment until signing day. And Utah's hit a home run. They still have another signing day in February where they just have a couple more scholarships. Um, I know they're wanting to look at a quarterback, uh, use a scholarship there. But I think from top to bottom, what they've had so far, it's exciting class. Well, and we haven't even talked about the top recruit, who who signed the day after on Thursday, and uh, is the highest rated recruit to ever sign with the University of Utah, a cornerback, Clark Phillips the third, our very own CP three. That was so much drama. If any of you followed that online, he was an Ohio State recruit since the summer. He was, and he completely shut down all his visits. Uh, Utah wasn't even in his top five um, right before he committed to Ohio State. And some changes happened in the coaching staff over there. And, you know, Utah never, never dropped him. Utah kept that relationship going. And Utah was the first team to to offer him. And I think that, that carried a lot of weight. And that relationship that he had with Shaw and with Coach Scally. But just kudos to the, to those guys for for keeping and maintaining that relationship because you never know what can happen with recruits. But yeah, I mean the highest rated recruit ever to sign with Utah, uh, Winningham was excited about him. I don't know if you saw him on CBS Sports. That was the one recruit Winningham brought up. Well, I mean you look at look at him and and you look at his stats. Not a huge guy, five ten, one hundred seventy eight pounds, but just his film is undeniable. There's a reason Ohio State fans invaded Twitter for University of Utah and and because it was a big blow to lose him, especially so late in the game where they were not able to go out and replace him with somebody else. And, and he was one of their top picks. So if you think about this, where Utah football has been recruiting-wise, they just flipped two Texas commits and an Ohio State commit. It's huge. It's that's unheard of. That's, that 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 doesn't happen around here. I mean, what this staff is doing, the and I and I think most importantly, the reputation that that is out there for Utah football is why a lot of these big time kids and even locally are now looking at Utah more seriously than they ever have in the past, is because number one, they've got stability. You've got a coaching staff that is here. They've been here a long time. They're not looking to go elsewhere. There's not a uh, there's not a much turnover, even from year to year. Maybe you're replacing one one or two coaches. Maybe maybe an OC here or there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> However, it looks to be stable for the for but the foreseeable it, future. But it does it, and and then on top of that, you now have that success to go along with it, winning the winning the Pac-12 South back-to-back years, playing for a Pac-12 title game. Obviously, this year didn't go all that well. 
But usually they, they always say kind of those recruiting bumps are a year out. So really next year is when we really should have taken advantage of this season. But I think this year we're taking advantage of what we did last season. So, I mean, you look at as we head into this 2021 class, Utah really should be able to continue to keep this momentum up and, and continue to bring elite talent into the program, which is going to help us compete for the South. When you, you know, if USC gets gets it ever figured out, if you, UCLA, um, but you, you look at some of these other teams, Arizona had, Arizona State, excuse me, had had a really good class. So teams around us continue to recruit really well. And even though Utah has proven to be one of the best at developing talent, you've got to improve that talent from, from day one to really get us over that hump. We've won the South. Now winning the South is not, uh, is not where this program is, is, is wanting to go. It's that next step of winning the conference, playing for a Rose Bowl, maybe even getting into that playoff. So huge step, huge recruiting class. I mean, there's a, there's a number of guys who are worth mentioning that we really haven't even had a chance to go into. But, uh, you know, log in, utezone.com. I'll tell you, if you're not a member, join in. Amazing information, just constant information flowing. It's an it's a, it's a amazing website. It has all these recruits, their videos and stories on them, and you can really kind of start to to gain an appreciation for what this coaching staff's doing. Uh, exactly, Scott. I couldn't say it better. Uh, Ute Zone does does a, a fantastic job, kind of filling Utah fans in. So it does look like we have Westcott Ebers uh, from Burnt Orange Nation on the phone. Uh, before we patch him in, you know, if you're headed down to the Alamo Bowl and you need tickets, check out Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look up the seats in the section row of your choice, all right in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back, Vivid Seats rewards. Go to your app store and download the Vivid Seats app, and fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats reward loyalty program. Every purchase is backed 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and the games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. If you're a first-time buyer, when you're at checkout, enter promo code OVERTIME and receive a discount up to $100. All right, join us on the phone now from Burnt Orange Nation. We got Westcott Evers. Westcott, how you doing? Good, how y'all doing? You know, we can't complain, even though we wish we were talking Utah, maybe in a Rose Bowl or playoff. We're still looking forward to a Utah-Texas game. Uh, I want to jump into it because I know a lot of Utah fans have a lot of questions about Texas. In, in the last couple weeks, there's been a lot of coaching changes on the defensive side of the ball, on the play-calling side. What's kind of going on with these co- with the coaching changes? Yeah, so what happened was that uh, Texas reassigned their offensive coordinator, Tim Beck. He's the quarterback's coach for the bowl game. Uh, they reassigned a wide receiver's coach, Corby Meekins, to an administrative position. The other wide receiver's coach, Drew Maringer, uh, was let go. On the defensive side of the ball, Texas uh, fired offensive uh, defensive coordinator um, Todd Orlando. And so uh, they have a defensive pressure, defensive analyst, the former Iowa State uh, linebacker who's uh, stepped into the role as a linebacker's coach. And so the defensive coordinator, a co-defensive coordinator, uh, Craig Navar, who also coaches the safeties, He's going to be coaching the defense, so 
even though Texas hired a new defensive coordinator, Chris Ash, uh, he's not going to be involved in, in coaching the bowl game. And um, head coach Tom Herman is in full control of the offense, and he's been calling plays since uh, the bowl game at the end of the 2017 season. Uh, so that's a fairly familiar position with him. Uh, but Texas doesn't have an official offensive coordinator for this game. And so, looking at that, do you do you think since Herman's kind of taking that on that role, does does the offense going to change at all? I wouldn't really expect any significant changes uh, to the offense. Uh, the biggest changes really are probably going to be from uh, two of the guys that they expect to have back, Colin Johnson, uh, their ex-wide receiver who's missed six games this year because of hamstring injuries, and then tight end Cade Brewer uh, who missed, I think, four or five games uh, with an ankle injury that he suffered late in the year against TCU. And, and those are going to be big additions for Texas. Uh, Johnson is a guy who demands uh, a lot of uh, double coverage, uh, safety help over the top. Um, at that X position. And uh, Brewer is a guy who has the, the most versatility of the three tight ends who play for Texas. Uh, he's a guy who can block out of the backfield as an H-back. Uh, Texas also really likes to split him out wide, and their offense really missed him when he was out uh, because the one tight end that they have is uh, you know more of a blocker, Reese Latow, the redshirt sophomore. And then behind him, Jared Wiley, uh, a little bit more versatile, but he's a true freshman. He played um quarterback in high school last year so uh brewer is a guy that and johnson as well those guys being back um and healthy if, if they are they are expected to be healthy um those will be you know bigger changes for texas than um having herman in full control over the offense so looking at this texas team kind of from afar obviously you know we didn't follow texas football week to week as i've just kind of browsed over over the stats i mean Obviously, Texas end of the season seven and five, but uh, you look at it, average nearly th- thirty-five points a game, just under five hundred yards of offense. I mean, pretty impressive stats across the board. What what was the what were the issues? What were the the the, the flaws for this this team this year? Yeah, there are a couple things offensively that I would point to, other than some of those injuries late in the year. Um, one of them was that. Uh, Texas had to move one of their quarterbacks to the running back position because of a, a rash of injuries. Uh, they, their uh, consensus five-star signee last year, Jordan Whittington, uh, was a high school wide receiver and defensive back. He moved to the position, had, had a great spring. Uh, he missed almost the entire year. He, he had two catches uh, in the season, the season opener before he left the game, and he's now had uh, two more surgeries uh, for a sports hernia. And so Texas had to move one of their quarterbacks to the running back position. Uh, the starting running back um, had a, a preseason knee injury, Keontae Ingram, that limited him early. And then later in the year, Texas uh, struggled to run the ball in a couple games against ba- uh, Baylor and Iowa State. Kind of some of those, um, you know, three-man line drop eight teams where they get, you know, a lot of the overhang players from the safeties really coming up quickly to be able to control the run game. And then Sam Ellinger started pressing a little bit. Uh, the junior quarterback got off to a great start early in the season. And then some of the issues that I think were, were happening defensively uh, caused him to really uh, press and try to make plays. And so after a year where he set the Big 12 record for most consecutive passes without an interception, he really had his interception spike this year, uh, including four in the loss to PCU. Uh, defensively, you know, the issues were really inexperienced. Um, Injuries and, and a lack of development. They lost eight, Texas lost eight starters from last season. Uh, they ranked, I think it was number 100 and, 
uh, 20, they ranked in the 120s in, in returning defensive production. Um, you know, a lot of talented signees recently. Uh, some of those guys, you know, they're two of their best young defensive backs, B.J. Foster and Caden Stearns, really battled injuries all year. Uh, they had a rash of other injuries um, at the linebacker position. And then in the secondary, uh, they resulted in, um, you know, a game against Kansas, for instance, uh, when they were playing their four-string safety. Um, but, you know, Orlando was, was let go because, he struggled to come up with a base defense that Texas could use from week to week. Uh, they had games where they had major tackling problems, like against Oklahoma, where I think they'd probably missed close to 30 tackles in that game. Um, and just struggled to develop um, some of the other players. Uh, when those starters uh, started to go out, they were having trouble getting, you know, some guys who are, you know, third-year players in the program uh, to the point where they could contribute effectively on the field. And so, you know, the defense was really what held Texas back. Um, and some of the opponent-adjusted stats like um, F-plus, uh, or I'm sorry, FEI, uh, the defense was, was average, but, um, you know, all of the raw numbers were, were really poor for Texas this year, and that was um, a major issue that contributed to a handful of those losses. So as Scott mentioned, uh, long, uh, the Longhorns went 7-5 and five, uh, in the Alamo Bowl against Utah. I know Utah fans were really looking forward uh, to to the Rose Bowl, it just didn't happen to them in that Pac-12 championship game. But I think playing a team like Texas that has that name brand uh, really helped soften that blow um, after that loss. But how are Long Longhorn fans really approaching this and the program itself? How do they feel the season went, and then having to uh, having a bowl game against Utah? Well, the you know Texas fans were rightly extremely disappointed with this season. Uh, last year, of course, Texas had their first ten win campaign in about a decade. Excuse me. They had that big uh, Sugar Bowl win um, against Baylor, after which you know Ellinger very uh, publicly declared that Texas was back. So the expectations were for the Longhorns to take another step forward, uh, certainly to get back to the Big 12 championship game after that loss to Oklahoma and Arlington last year. And um, you know the challenge for a college football playoff berth, and so to end up at, at seven and five and, and have to win the last game of the season, even to get there, was uh, tremendously disappointing and. Um, you know, I think Texas fans view this as, as another big opportunity similar, you know, to last season and even a little bit uh, comparable to the year before against Missouri. You know, this is the third time in Tom Herman's three years at, at Texas when the Longhorns um, have been a, a fairly significant underdog in the game. And so I think, you know, Texas fans who are looking at this game um, and, you know, not completely through the, the prism of uh, the disappointing season, understand that it's a big opportunity for Texas to come out with a win against, you know, a program that was on the doorstep of the college football playoffs and just to generate some of the positive momentum going into the offseason. Uh, that really hasn't been there, um, you know, since early in the season, really the you know second game against LSU. You know, Texas competed well against LSU just about, as you know, as well as anyone other than, you know, Auburn and Alabama, I think. And so Texas really, you know, hasn't had any positive momentum since then, particularly. Uh, but this is a big opportunity for the Longhorns to, um, you know, at least salvage this disappointing season a little bit. Tell us a little bit about this uh, Devin Duvernay. Um, I mean, he's got 103 receptions on the season. The next closest guy has 35. I mean, is, this, is he like Superman or something? What? I mean, that's a huge disparity from 103 to 35 receptions. 
how how good is is he at the wideout position, and and what can Utah expect to see from him? Yeah, well, you talked about you know Superman. He's a guy who ran a sub ten three one hundred meters um, in high school, so he was you know the fastest guy in the state of Texas that year. Uh, he's also tremendously strong. He can uh, squat over six hundred pounds, and, and I don't know if you all saw this highlight, but um, you know Grant Delpit, the, the star LSU safety. Uh, got trucked really significantly by Duvernay. And he's a guy who was disappointing uh, largely through his first three seasons at Texas. He was a guy who played outside at Flanker, and, and Ellinger struggled to get him the ball the last two years. Texas moved him inside to the spot. Um, that's really the, the star position in, in Tom Herman's offense. Uh, they call it the H position. Um, that's a, a position that gets a lot of catches in this offense. A uh, little George Humphrey had a, had a breakout season last year for Texas there. I mean, he's really Ellinger's security blanket, um, especially in the absence of, of Johnson. But you know, Duvernay has been really tremendous on third downs. Um, I would expect for um, Utah to to give him a little bit of extra coverage there um, and, and try to take away some of those outward-breaking routes that have really been his bread and butter this year. Um, but Duvernay has really been fantastic. Um, he's fast. Um, he's strong. He's not the most elusive guy in the open field, but one of his best qualities is his hands. Um, he's a guy who almost never drops passes, and so that's one of the reasons why he's been able to be so reliable, not just um, creating separation, but being able to uh, you know, to hold on to the ball when Ellinger gets it to him. Uh, so, Wescott, again, thank you so much for, for jumping on. Uh, before we let you go, uh, just a, a two-part question for you. Uh, I really think that this game is really going to come down to uh, Texas passing attack against Utah's secondary, where they have you know their all-American corner sitting out the game. They're down to their third safety, uh, who only only minutes he's seen is just a couple minutes in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, so, what are kind of the strengths that that Sam Hellinger has, um, and what kind of quarterback is he? And then, do you have a prediction at all for the game? Yeah, Sam Ellinger is an extremely tough guy. Um, he likes to say that he feels most engaged in the game after he takes that first hit. So the quarterback run game is going to be a significant part of it. Um, in the pocket, he's a guy who has, has good presence. He's willing to stand in there and take hits. Um, he hasn't always been the most accurate, but he's capable of making all of the passes. And so I think one of the interesting storylines in this game is you know, with the struggles that Texas had running the ball at times late in the season and how good the Utah, you know, run defense is one of the best in the country. Um, you know, I want to see whether Herman is willing to be a little bit more wide open and not try to run the ball to set up the pass, but to pass the ball in order to set up the run and be a little bit more wide open. Um, Texas got down against Iowa State and they're a little bit reluctant to do that. But the best moments that they had in the game and the reason why they had a chance to win it at the end, where when they did go up tempo and they did throw the ball around the field a lot. Um, so it's possible that that could be a big part of the game plan uh, with the injury issues and the um, you know some of the losses that Utah has won in this game. Um, I'm not really a big fan of um, predictions. I you know tend to prefer analysis. Um, you know I think Utah, you know clearly through their body of work this season is a better team. I think they're benefiting from the stability that they have with their head coach being there for so long and especially his ability to evaluate and develop talent. You know, that second part of the development aspect is an area where 
Texas has really struggled this year, even to the point that um, Tom Herman admitted that publicly in one of his final press conferences. Uh, so, you know, you really trust me to to have um, to have a prediction. Um, I'll call it um, I'll call it twenty eight twenty four Utah. Hey, you're gonna make a lot of Utah fans happy with that prediction. I think I think it's gonna be pretty close too. Uh, we haven't given our predictions yet, but I I don't know. We might some of us might be going Texas, but but we'll see. Uh, so again, people can uh, follow you on Burnt Orange Nation, uh, part of SB Nation. You guys do a great job. I know I've been reading a ton of your stuff uh, to kind of prep for this and to get a little bit more um, knowledge on Texas. Uh, where where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, SBN underscore West W E S C O T T, and then of course uh, you mentioned BurnOrangeNation dot com. Awesome. Well, Scott, hey, thank you so much, and uh, have a great night, and hopefully it's a great bowl game. Yeah, I expect a good game. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, enjoy your holiday season. Thanks. You too, Westcott. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, A big thank you to Westcott for jumping on. And again, check him out at burntorangenation.com, part of SB Nation. A lot of interesting things Westcott had to say about, especially about the coaching changes. You know, I know he he said that the the offense probably will will stay the same, uh, but it is kind of interesting to to see how teams react when there's a lot of big changes like that. Well, it's just opposite of what we were talking about earlier. I mean, there's with the stability and certainty that Utah has, there's some uncertainty and instability at, at, at Texas. Well, and, and, and that may prove to be, you know, obviously an advantage for Utah because, I mean, you look at, the, as I, I'll tell you what, I mean, I, 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 I'm trying to figure out why they went 7-5 and five because they gave up a lot of yards defensively and, and obviously, you know, I think there's a reason they're getting rid of, the, of Todd Orlando, their, their defensive coordinator, because they just didn't play good enough defensively. They weren't, they weren't horrific by any means. <laughs> And as as potent as their offense can be at times, especially through the passing game, you know, or the running running game, they they were pretty average in. Um, yeah, but I, was, I think you're right. I think that's part of their. I would say that's part of their issue. They they seem to be a little bit one dimensional. Their top running back with only seven hundred and some forty some odd yards for the entire season. That's not that's not big, especially for a Big Twelve team. I mean. Granted, they threw they put up a lot of points and a lot of a lot of passing yards, but when you become one dimensional, it makes it a little bit easier to slow you down. Seven hundred yards—that's like a month's work for Zach Moss. <laughs> so no, I mean obviously, you know, it's interesting because they're not that good at running the ball, and that's Utah's strength—is stopping the run, at least in any game outside the Pac-12 title game. And, um, you know, but, but you, you look at this Texas team and they're not Oregon like, so, so they don't scare me in that sense. I think, I think we're going to be able to obviously contain them in the run game. Um, but Sam Ellinger, he's a weapon and, and not only is he a guy that can throw the ball and complete big plays through the passing game, but he's a big bodied tough quarterback who, who 
likes contact, who initiates contact. And so you're going to see him in the run game. So it may not just be your traditional handoff to the running back and, and, and stopping him. It's going to be how well does Utah contain Zach, or excuse me, Sam, on third down in the, when he's scrambling or breaking the pocket and not allowing him to pick up those first downs, which we've seen at times that, that, that could be one of the part of our, of, of our defense, especially when we're in a man coverage. Defenders have their back to the line of scrimmage. If openings open up in that, um, across the line of scrimmage, huge gaping holes for, for yardage. And that's something I think Ellinger can take advantage of. Um, and, and it's something we're going to have to look out and prepare for. You know, one thing I am concerned going into this game for Utah is the emotional letdown, if any, from the Pac-12 championship game. I, I think it I don't, bodes, I, don't ha- I don't know how there's not going to be. Well, I think it bodes well that everyone is chose to come back to play minus um minus Johnson, but all the seniors from Zach Moss to Tyler Huntley, uh, to even on the defensive line, that you know they're all coming back for this game. So I think that helps. Uh, but I am a little a little nervous for Utah coming in here where they are at the highest of highs before that Oregon game, looking at a, at a college playoff game, at the very worst, looking at a Rose Bowl game, and having and I I'm trying to be as politically correct as I can with this. Why? Because normally the Alamo Bowl is a good bowl to go to. Yeah, it's the second highest bowl for a Pac-12 team. It is, but not this year. And I think that's what I'm nervous about. That's what I'm nervous about. It helps that you're playing Texas. You know, kind of helps with that name brand. Uh, kind of gets you can kind of get up to go against you know a, a blue chip program like a Texas. So that does help. But we've seen Utah kind of have slow starts, and I'm worried that we're going to have another slow start out of Utah. And I hope that doesn't carry on through the, the rest of the game. I kind of view this Texas team very much like USC. Probably not the most motivated team out there, but they have they recruit so well and have so many athletes across the board that when they put it together, they're really good. They just don't put it together on a week-to-week basis. And and we saw what USC did to Utah. They got Big-bodied wide receivers. They've got a capable quarterback. Throughout the season, we had uh, Blackman patrolling the secondary. We had Jalen Johnson outside of the USC game pretty much shutting down one side of the field. You don't have either of those guys. And you've got a a Colin Johnson who's 6'6", who's very good, a good wide receiver. you got uh, this Devin uh, Duvernay who's got 103 receptions. Almost 1,300 yards receiving. In college football, you don't see that that often. It's crazy. I mean, those are big numbers. And I got to be honest, losing our top two guys in the secondary, going against these guys makes me pretty nervous, especially when you add in the fact of a letdown. How motivated are we? And you hear... You hear uh, and I, you hear a lot of our guys saying that they're going to be motivated. They're going to be ready. Were, were they saying that for the Pac-12 title game? Clearly, they should have been. And why they weren't, who knows? I mean, the, I see a letdown coming, too. I mean, just they're, they're human. I mean, from a from a fan standpoint, I'm still 
You're still throwing temper tantrums. I'm still bummed out about the loss. I mean, it's been three freaking weeks, and every time I think about it, it pisses me off. Yeah, and, and, and you think of the players who are the ones that are investing all of their time, energy, focus since last year through the summer, through the weightlifting, the conditioning, off-season, spring ball. These are the guys that have put in all the time and effort. and For one goal. For one goal, and they came up short. And they were so close to doing and achieving that goal, and it was just in a very ugly way just thrown in their face. So if you think about it, as we fans, as disappointed as we are, how disappointed are these guys still? Now, if you turn that disappointment into anger and you come out with something to prove just because you're so ticked off about that performance, then I think we could be in pretty good shape. But it's all about that mindset. If Urban Meyer was our coach, I think we'd get our guys ready to play. I love Kyle Whittingham. I think he's an all-timer, but he's not in the, in the psychology of the game, in the motivation of his team. He's not what Urban is, and there's Urban a there's the coach. There, we wouldn't have lost the Pac-12 championship. Well, and, and there's a, there's a reason there's only so many Urban Myers out there, yeah. because they're elite of they're just the elite coaches. And Whittingham, I think, is really good in the psychology of the game when his team is an underdog, when they when they're disrespected, when they've got that chip on their shoulder. But when they're the favorite, I don't think Wit has been able to really figure out how to keep his motivated favorite team to win. And and I say that kind of tongue in cheek because I think obviously we were the preseason favorites and then went out and produced all season long. So in some ways he makes me eat my words because of what he did throughout the regular season. But they were an underdog after that USC loss. They, they were. couldn't afford to lose another game. But but I'm kind of more looking at the big games. You know, beating the Arizonas, the Colorados, even the UCLA's of the world, that's great, but that's expected at this point. When was the last big, big game that Utah won? In a big-time environment against a big-time program. The Sugar Bowl in 09. I mean, it, the problem but is— But they were huge underdogs in that game. But, well, the, the problem is it takes us a while to remember— because we just have not had that big-time win. USC potentially could have been that this year. Big-time environment with a lot on the line. Look how we played. Washington, big-time big environment. There was a lot on the line, but they weren't a great, great team. But we struggled for much of that game, and we're able to pull it off at the end. Then you go look at the th- the third Best game on our schedule this year is Oregon, and look what happened. Got thumped. So that's where I'm concerned is going against good athletic teams, we have not fared well this season. We beat up and made made the, the average weak teams look horrific, and we've looked really good doing it, but we have not looked really good doing it against elite teams. Well, maybe that's the next step that this program needs to take. You know, having being the big the big dog in the conference, being, you know, that team in the South Division that has the largest target on them. I mean, obviously, USC is always going to be the name brand. Don't get me wrong on that. But I think that's just kind of the next step this program has to take. They have to learn. You're going to have to take your lumps. 
And and that's where you learn, right? When you get beat down and get back up, that's when teams and programs start to uh, to get that identity and start to rise to that occasion. You know, looking at this Utah team, they're eleven and two right now. I'm going to throw it out to you guys, Ryan. I'll start with you. Eleven and two. Is this bowl game a must win? Do they have to get to twelve and two for this season to have any feel of success? Or if they go at eleven and three, is that just a complete downer? I think it depends on how you look at it, look at it because with with the expectations that we all had going into the the season and the expectations we had going into the Pac twelve championship game, I would say yes, it's a it's a it's a disappointment to some degree. Now, you can't say that going eleven and three is a complete disappointment because there's a lot that goes into to to a season, and winning eleven games is nothing to 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 laugh at. Well, I I, I think I think however you look at it, it would be a disappointment. Anybody that says this season is an overwhelming success, if you end up um, eleven and three with a loss in a bowl game against a seven-win team, I, I I think you're just being a homer with red glasses. I think this is an absolute must-win. And I, I'm not trying to be overdramatic, but it was it was three weeks ago we were ranked number five in the country. Well, yeah, I mean, look. with We were favored. We were, we were in the driver's seat to play in the playoff. So you're telling me within that short of a period of time, essentially two games, you're going to go from being in the playoff, number five in the country, to adding two losses and losing a bowl game, not even a New Year's Six bowl game into a seven-win team. I'm telling you, that that's a choke job if that happens. It is. I And, and I love my Utes, and man, I'll... I'm, I'll be there year after year, and like I said last last podcast, until I'm dead. <laughs> but you can't you can't fall from grace that quickly. That's a that's a huge fall. They, this is a must win, and and this is a this is a team. Yes, are they going to give us some some? I don't think we're going to route Texas by any means, and and they're going to pre- present some pretty good challenges. But I think by we have the talent, and we've got the team that should go out and beat these guys. Can they get in the right mindset? Can they put that Oregon defeat behind them? That's what ultimately is going to be the test. But I think for the sake of Utah's brand nationally, as much positive brand awareness we've brought to the program or they've brought to the program this year, you go lose this bowl game, I think you lose a whole lot of what you accomplished throughout the regular season. I think you guys hit it right on the head. Utah can't afford to lose this game and still feel positive with this season. Uh, even though it's kind of funny to say that because an eleven-win season uh, should always be, you know, something to to strive for. Uh, but for what expectations were just a few weeks ago uh, to end the season uh, on two losses, uh, it doesn't really doesn't really would I don't think it would sit well uh, with the fans or or the players or the coaches. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and do our picks for the game. So right now, Vegas has this as a seven-point victory for the Utes. I think it's going to be a little bit closer than that. I I, I kind of worry Utah with the inexperience, with the secondary uh, that they're going to have, 
and Texas's ability to, to throw the ball. Now, I think it's really going to come down to can, if the D-line can get enough pressure on Ellinger, I do think I'll, I'll go with Utah as the win. Um, I, th- I think the guys, they are going to, you know, kind of come together over the last couple weeks and put on a show. So I'll say Utah 30, Texas 24, right? I think I'm kind of following your lead here with the Utah being struggling a little bit on defense with some new players in the, in the defensive backfield. Um, Cause Texas can put some points on the board. Um, so, but, but I'm going to go with Utah sneaking. If it's going to be closer than yours, Cam, I'm going to go 34 to 31 Utah. Scott, where are you going? Yeah, I see. I mean, as good as our defense has been all year long, I, I kind of see with, with some key, key pieces missing defensively. I think, I think it's going to be an offensive show from both teams. So I'm going to go Utah 41. Texas, 34. Wow, 41 points. That would be huge if that happens. It would be an exciting, exciting bowl game, right? I mean, they're supposed to be fun. Hey, hey a lot of offense. L- I like it. Ludwig, uh, Ludwig's going to call the game he should have in the, in the Pac-12 title game and actually open it up a little bit. So I, I think we're going to score some points. Uh, so that will do it on this episode. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find him in the mall doing some last-minute Christmas shopping. And if, and if you can't find me in the mall, you can find me on Twitter at Drum and Feather. That's Drum, the letter N, Feather. Scott? Are you going to be sitting on Santa's lap? Yeah, you can find me at Uteman underscore forever. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Utah Man Podcast. And you can always go to our home at UtahManPodcast.com. And we're available anywhere you listen to a podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We're there. Hopefully Utah gets a big win over Texas in the Alamo Bowl and we'll all be celebrating a 12-win season. And go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be till I die. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah.